Are you ready to clear a new path? Are you ready to get vulnerable and lead with truth? Welcome to Clearing a New Path Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Clearing a New Path Podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-oppressive rural Canada, one that genuinely embraces authenticity and is rooted in reconciliation. Each episode, we'll examine issues and look for collective solutions all outside of the city limits. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. first met Andrew Button from Mashup Lab over the phone. He was inquiring about the National Conference the organization I was working with at the time, Community Futures Ontario, was hosting, and how he could become a speaker. That was in the throes of the pandemic. I was struck by his friendliness, his commitment to innovation, and also his commitment to spreading the word about rural communities. Andrew and I caught up again recently to chat about how he's supporting rural entrepreneurs in Canada and the U.S., what is missing for many rural communities, and some of the opportunities they have at the start of a new year. After a 15-year career working in rural communities with various innovation, businesses, and economic development organizations, Andrew founded Mashup Lab in 2014. The organization's vision is a world where every person in a rural place has the opportunity to unleash their full potential. Identifying a gap in resources and a need for support in his own community, Andrew has since launched a community of three co-working spaces for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and independents in the South Shore under the brand Work Evolved. Andrew is from a small rural community himself in Newfoundland and married a girl from a small rural community in Nova Scotia that they now call home with their two boys. Tell me a little bit and tell all of us a little bit about Mashup Lab. Yeah, so Mashup Lab was born really out of a problem and challenge I saw from my economic development days. So I spent about 15 years in various rural economic development roles, mostly here in in Nova Scotia. And towards the end of that um, that career, um, what I began to notice, like we were doing all the typical stuff, right? We were having pitch competitions. We had great partnerships with uh, local community colleges to open up space uh, available. We had partnerships with regional business incubators and accelerators. regional marketing programs, like lots of really cool entrepreneurial activity happening. But through through a whole sequence of events, I won't bore you or your audience with the details of unless you unless you want to dive into it. I'm happy to. Um, but what I began to notice was that there was a just a massive pool of untapped entrepreneurial talent sitting on the sidelines of that whole ecosystem of things, not plugging into all of the programs, services, supports, and all the stuff that we were um, designing and building to try and help them. And I just got like obsessively curious as to why that was and, you know, what were the barriers and challenges? And that's really where, where Mashup Lab was born, was a pursuit of frustration to, to try and figure out that problem. What was it that we weren't quite getting right? And uh, we experimented with lots of things in the first few years, lots of different ways of trying to crack that uh, that nut. But basically, I've spent the last 10 years of my life trying to get a little bit better and better and better at getting that untapped talent off the sidelines and, and into the game. And we figured some things out al- along the way of doing that. Um, and we still are just learning a lot of the the things that are preventing people with really amazing ideas that could be really amazing businesses in our rural places from actually pursuing those things and turning them into uh, to a reality. But 
that's all we do all day long is try to figure out how to go do that in lots of places around Canada and the U.S. Okay, so what are some of the unique challenges that rural and remote communities face and how, how like, what are the barriers for folks um, in, you know, getting those ideas, making them happen and, um, you know, bringing them to fruition and to value in their rural and remote communities in Canada? Yeah. So I kind of see those as like two separate challenges, right? So there's challenges that communities have and people that work in economic development in those communities. There's a certain set of challenges of how they go about doing what they do to help those people get off the sidelines and into the game to start, start businesses. And then there's other, a whole other set of challenges that the entrepreneurs themselves face from you know, thinking that all of the stuff that's going on uh, that that's available to them, some of which is virtually, like the things that we do at Mashup Lab, but a lot of it is happening right in their own backyard. There's other things that prevent them from plugging into all of that stuff and taking advantage of all those things when they they absolutely could and should be be doing be doing that. So um, so I think the the work that we focus on is more on the entrepreneur side because that was the real sort of challenge I felt like. If we can start to figure that out, um, it makes it a little easier to provide some insight to the economic development folks that might be, you know, struggling to figure those things out in in other ways in their community. So, um, and again, I could spend a whole hour just talking about some of the things that we're learning on that front. But from an entrepreneurship standpoint, it sometimes comes down to an issue of. Uh, seeing themselves in the stories that are being told around what is a successful entrepreneur and not just stories being told at in sort of like the you know mainstream media but stories that are being told by their local economic development organization and the things that they put out in the local newspaper around success stories and the things that get talked about when they show up at a local co coffee shop and somebody's sort of saying, wow, look at this amazing thing that this amazing person did. Oftentimes, what gets missed in that story is like the five or 10 years that that entrepreneur put into that business to get to the point where they're now kind of this sort of overnight success that everybody's talking about. And it's at the very early stages of that. Remember, those entrepreneurs are figuring those, those things out that most of the folks that we are we are working with live right, so they don't necessarily like the the picture between where they are now and what their reality is, and the picture that's being shown to them. Like, there's too many degrees of separation between between those two two points for many of them to really understand that yes, I actually am an entrepreneur, even though I don't necessarily feel that way. Uh, so that even like the language that we're using around some of the stuff, the the labels that we end up putting on some of these things to try and communicate it. Uh, become become a bit of a challenge. So it's it often boils down to just the confidence and courage that I, I am an entrepreneur. I have a good idea that's worth investing in. I am worthy and should be availing myself of all of the the things that are out there. But oftentimes they think all of that stuff is for somebody that's not them. And I think that's a, a real big sort of sticking point. And and again, when all you do all day long is try to figure, go figure that stuff out. You learn some things, but we are just, I think, at the tip of the iceberg, Shauna, in terms of our learning around how to actually crack through some of that to uh, to get that message across. But uh, but we're making some progress. Equity is a big part of that. Um, I mean, it's the elephant in the room that many of us don't want to talk about, or many folks in rural communities don't want to talk about when it comes to entrepreneurial success. Um, we face systemic barriers. I am, I, I shouldn't say we, I mean, I'm a woman, uh, but I'm a white settler and racism is in my DNA. I, I have special treatment regardless of what my life has dealt me because of the color of my skin and rural and remote communities are slow to recognize the systemic barriers that exist for many folks that may consider coming to their rural and remote communities and start a business 
but there are additional monumental barriers, systemic barriers. And so what have you encountered and how have you, what have you witnessed and, 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 you know, like what are, or how are you addressing that? Yeah, great question. And I couldn't agree more. And for me personally, I had the sort of additional advantage of being a middle-aged white male in all of this. You're at the top. (laughs) Right. And I had an amazing upbringing and I'd like, I had amazing parents and I saw like all, I had every advantage that you could ever, ever think of um, in all of that. And I think what, um, you know, when I started to think about what I wanted to accomplish through Mashup Lab, this business I call Mashup Lab, um, I wasn't thinking about those things at all. I was just thinking about like, how do I go help? somebody that's out there with a great idea, figure out if there's a great business to be built around this great idea and based on the skills and talents and strengths that I have uh, to, uh, to do that. And I think once we got into that work, Shauna, and what we began to realize is that, um, and I think we just got lucky with a lot of things simply because of the way I was thinking about and approaching it. So I, this wasn't by strategy or by plan. I think uh, just by listening and being thoughtful around what I felt was the right thing to do, ended up resonating with a completely different kind of entrepreneur that was sitting out in our communities. Um, and in that case, it was specific to here to, to Nova Scotia. Um, but well over 80% of the, the folks that end up applying for our program were women. Uh, half of them were women with kids under the age of 12. Wow. And I would su- suggest about 40% or so uh, of those folks identified in some sort of minority population. So when I looked at those results of the things that we were doing and how we were doing them with Mashup Lab, the invitation we were putting out there, the channels we were using to share that message and, and you know present that invitation, compared to the things I was doing in my economic development days, it was like completely flipped on its head in terms of the kinds of entrepreneurs that were showing up to the things that we were trying to, to do. So, so we're now in the process of trying to re, reverse engineer some of that to, to say, what was it about what we did and the message we sent and how we sent it that could resonate with those kinds of on, on entrepreneurs. And uh, I think we've gotten some, some insight into, uh, into that, but I think that's a, a big part of our learning is, um, is trying to better under, understand the things we got right. And how do we even get it? Like, how do we make it even better in, in those regards? Because I think, again, it's not, it's just now becoming something that we're, I'm being like thoughtful towards. So like, how do we actually go do this in a way that um, acknowledges all of that privilege and all of those biases and all of those things and do it in a way that is actually uh, respectful and representative of the, the folks that we're really hoping to help. What kind of work have you done personally? Because um, my thought is that to heal a community, people have to heal themselves first in in ways that are desperately uncomfortable and you know very heavily unconfronted. So, yeah. how do we? How do you do that? Uh, I would say. Uh, but just by like asking a lot of thoughtful questions of, of people that open themselves up to being asked the questions. And I think any, any opportunity that I've had over these last um, three or four years, Shauna, uh, that uh, to get in conversation with people that are different than me, that come from a different place than I come from. Uh, that have a different culture than uh, than me that are open to sharing some insight into that. Like I, that I just, I, I gobble it up as much as I, as much as I can. And again, I think um, my position, my privilege, my, my place in the world gives me the opportunity to, uh, to, to do that. Um, but I think that for me is, is like the, the place where I've learned the, learned the most. I, I've, you know, gone beyond uh, those conversations to the to the greater internet to try to try and 
figured those things out and taken taken some courses and done done some things. But the most valuable insight that I've gained is when I, you know another human has said, "I'm willing to share with you some of the things that you know might be valuable to your learning." Um, that's what's been most valuable to me, and just being curious about it and being open to the idea that you're you're going to be told some things that may be uncomfortable and um, not just about your hit my history and my my lineage uh but also like things i am i'm doing personally that may actually you know not be right not be cool and um completely out of ignorance but uh but i think what what people appreciate is that i am absolutely open to that feedback and they i think believe that in an authentic way i'm trying to be just become a little bit better at at all of that um and uh and that's what's what's really been, uh, I think, helpful to me. But I would say, again, just scratching the surface when it comes to, to that stuff, and um, something I'm probably not doing nearly enough of on a on an intentional, regular basis to uh, to do it. So, one of my aspirations for uh, for 2024. I think it takes a degree of humility uh, to and vulnerability to even be open to be called in or. Um, you know, called out. Um, in some cases, it can be embarrassing. It can be, you know, um, very detrimental to your business. Uh, and um, I think, though, that it's the only way that rural communities will come to utilizing and and facilitating the tapping into, as you say, the talent and the people that are there. It's about building trust. I think witnessing the biases in conversations and in groups is something I could never unsee. So after, totally. you know, you, I'm sure that you've seen that in your facilitating, you know, classes and workshops and things like that. There are inherent biases that we see, that we witness, and it is important to address that. So, and then, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And um, and I think you know, from my perspective, the the embarrassment I might feel because I've done something or said something that that was misaligned with how I how I feel and the things that I value, and that awkward conversation that might have to in, ensue is such a small price to to pay and you know the 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 ding to my ego is such a small price to pay in the pursuit of the goal I'm trying to achieve in the world which is unleashing the entrepreneurial potential of real, real places and if I've got to go through a bit of that that gauntlet to unlearn some things to become a, a show up in a better way that allows me to be in a position to be helpful in unleashing that entrepreneurial talent with lots of communities and lots of different kinds of culture, then, um, then yeah, that's a really, really small price to pay at the end, end of it all. <laughs> so, uh, so I think, um, yeah, I believe, you know, people feel that from me when I show up is like, I, I, I'm trying to learn here. I'm trying to figure, figure this out. And if you're willing to help me, I'm willing to be helped in lots of, uh, different ways of, uh, just trying to get a deeper and better understanding of of how we can work together on these things. They're just too important. It's just too important not to do. Agreed. What other ways do rural communities hold themselves back? And I, and by that I mean perhaps councils, perhaps economic development uh, departments, uh, or even mm. some of the businesses. I mean, you know, there's large, there can be large manufacturers in, in rural communities and, and there's always the complaint about transit and, you know, how do we get people here, things like that. So what are your thoughts on the ways that rural communities, rural and remote Canadian communities hold themselves back? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I could, I, another whole podcast <laughs> I could spend, uh, spend on this. But but to be fair, there's there's lots of things they're they're getting right too. So as much as I can talk about the the challenges and things that I just observe, um, I think if you really dig into it, there's a lot of good there's a good foundation there to be to be built on. 
But and a let's of talk about that after. Let's talk about that after. Yeah. But let's, yeah. Yeah, for for sure. So so I think that the big thing that jumps out for for me is um is like not really quite getting what's in the realm of the possible from a rural place. So I again have the privilege of seeing so many different kinds of businesses and entrepreneurs being successful in dozens of different industries, in dozens of different different ways, in the smallest of places. Like I, I just think of Hutch Games here in Mahone Bay, Nova Scotia, right? Like, you know, one guy and a couple of co-founders from from the UK. Uh, he moved to rural Nova Scotia, started working for my my co-working space. Uh, and like just sold to the largest mobile video game company in the world two years ago for three hundred fifty million dollars U.S. and has a you know office of you know a couple dozen people now working in Mahone Bay, Nova Scotia. It's a population of like seven hundred people. Like we've been shown the picture of what's in the realm of the possible from a rural place, and I think um, I think it's just a lack of exposure to those kinds of stories and those kinds of ideas. That, that I think sometimes limits the thinking when, you know, folks that are trying to build their strategies and decide what to do with budgets, they just don't quite understand how to, how to get to that and what is required to foster more of that. So the, and because they're under immense pressure from the public to be truthful and, and respectful of their dollars, and they're under immense pressure of time to try and get these things done by year end and what the the timeframes that we're we're working on and the election cycles and all all of that kind of stuff it it forces sometimes to default to the lowest common denominator of like what is the thing that we feel like we can actually do and do well with this money we've been given called a budget and um and i think sometimes that results in just taking the old stuff and dusting it off and trying it in a different way uh, and sometimes it, it takes a bit of a short-sighted look at, at what might be the results uh, because, you know, folks are, are again, under a lot of pressure to show immediate wins on this stuff and hold, held to a certain, certain accountability. So, uh, so I think that's like that whole process of figuring out where to invest time, money, and effort as a community. There's just some fundamental flaws with how we've been doing that, you know, as um, as role place. And I would suspect, you know, a lot of it's true for some urban uh, or some of our urban friends as, uh, as well. But that's a big one. It's like not, not really understanding the impact that a little bit of focus and a little bit of money can have in a rural place when directed in the point in the right direction. Can you give another example? You talked about a co-working space, and I think that that's a really interesting concept that I'm close to London, Ontario, so Innovation Works is there. That's one of the first ones I've ever you know, scene. Uh, there's co-working spaces in bigger urban centers. How do you make it work in a rural community? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I've now, so that's actually a part of our uh, a business model. Um, so we now have been a part of starting and growing five co-working spaces here on the South shore of, uh, of rural Nova Scotia. And um and I, I have a whole sort of webinar series kind of coming out here in the new year around. If you've been thinking about building a business incubator or a co-working space in your real place, you know, here's some things we've learned Great. about how to do it with zero government funding going into any of it and trying to figure out how to make them uh, ongoing and sustainable and all, all of that stuff. So we've learned a lot about that. Um, but I think you know, the, the, what's at the core of how you make it work, especially in a rural place, is... Uh, a couple things. Acknowledging that the model that works really, really well when you have a critical mass of density in a place, like an a urban neighborhood, or um, and you have ten tech startups uh, that are you know percolating around <laughs> around <laughs> yeah. your, your region that can come and fill an office and pay a membership and do all all of that stuff. That just doesn't. That model just doesn't apply in a rural place. You don't have that volume and critical mass and concentration of people just like walking by your door to make that business model work. So, so you have to get really creative in terms of bringing and inviting in and making the space and the value proposition to a really wide variety of people 
uh, to make the business model of that co-working space work. So you got to attract the senior executive that may be working remotely for a company in, in Boston. Uh, they have to see themselves as, as being like, that's a place for me. Uh, you have to make it just as appealing for somebody that might be making handcrafted jewelry in a small studio at home. Like try to come, you know, explain to them why they would show up and work in this in the space with these other people as as well. So it's a bit of an art and a science to really having the same asset, right? This physical space that is available in a community that is that is understood and appealing to a really and has a value proposition to a really diverse group of people that you need to pull into that space. Um, but that being said, if you do that part and get that part of the equation right, the really magical thing that happens that's really different than some of the places that I've been a part of in, or you know, work from in, in our more urban centers is the diversity of conversation that happens in that space. When mm -hmm. you have just this really wide variety of people that are coming together to add perspective to a problem you're trying to solve as you know, somebody that might be trying to build a consultancy business you know, that's working alongside somebody that might be a jewelry maker, that somebody's trying to sell their art on Etsy versus a local lawyer that doesn't need a full-time office, but is, you know, working out of there three days. It's just a really, I think, a much more rich opportunity and rich conversation that can happen if, if, you, if you get the front end of that piece right and figure out a way to, you know, invite all of those people into, into that space. Interesting. So it's, Basically about sitting down and talking to people and asking them what they need. Uh, yes, I think that's a part of it. I also think people don't necessarily know what they need. That's true. And when you ask them the question of what is it that you need, one of two things usually happen. They tell you what they, they think you need, or they tell you what they think you want to hear that them say they need. That's <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, true. Um, however, their, their behavior right? The, their actions, the things that they, that they, they, that they do are a much better indication of what they, what they actually need. And the way I, I describe this in, in the context of, of co-working space is like this, what I call accelerated serendipity that happens, right? So the fact that, you know, these two people showed up randomly to work in this same space in proximity to one another, um, on the same day, at the same time, and all of a sudden they have this like really magical conversation that takes place that helps you know one of those people figure out and solve a problem that they've been struggling with for for months. None, neither of them are planning to be there that that day, right? And it like oftentimes the value proposition of these spaces like oh there's a, it's a really cool funky vibe and it's comfortable chairs and the internet's amazing and there's a decent cup of coffee available. But it's really like having that one conversation that unlocks all of that, you know, helps you sort through all of that stuff in your head that comes from a jewelry maker or a lawyer or a senior tech executive or whoever else ha might happen to be there that day. That's the real value proposition of those spaces. Uh, you got to have the comfy chairs and the decent coffee and the high speed internet and all that stuff. Those, that's the table space. But once somebody experiences that for themselves, that one time that they showed up and they had the most important conversation of their month uh, in that was totally unexpected, then you got them. Like then they're then they know why they need to show up there three times a, a week and pay you the ninety nine bucks a month or whatever it is to um, you know to be a part of that space because they know all it takes is one conversation and I got my money back ten times, right? So um, once somebody experiences that, it's really it, you know it's they get it. Um, the challenge is how do you communicate that to the next person that isn't coming to your space yet <laughs> and uh, try to get them the experience and feel that um, before they you know, make their commitment to, uh, to rent an office or you know, get a full-time membership to secure a desk and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I think, uh, like a, two words together, a phrase that um, is misunderstood perhaps, and, and, I, and I'm not going to say every rural community and rural and remote community misunderstands, but uh, what are your thoughts about social innovation and a, you know, a social business model? How do you explain I, that? 
I have no idea what that even means. Like, and I, I'm not, I'm, I haven't found anybody that, that I think really, truly, truly does. Because yeah. I, the way I describe Mashup Lab, so I am structured as a for-profit incorporated business. That is right. my legal structure. You're not funded by the government or not, not fully funded. funded. Not yeah. funded by the government at all. Uh, mm-hmm. We we do business with government and we do business with not for profits that get get money from from government. But we do we do not actually receive any direct fund direct you know core right. funding, if you will, right. for um, for what we do. I describe Mashup Lab as a for more than profit business, and the reason I use that language versus a social innovation business or a social enterprise, enterprise, or, yeah. Or B Corp or like what, you know, there's technical definitions for this thing. And then there's labels that everybody uses that don't always necessarily mean the same thing to, to the same people. Uh, the reason I use that is like, I, I am unapologetic about the fact that um, the things that we're doing, we need to be able to generate a profit fund. What makes us a little different and why I describe us as a for more than profit company is like, now we get to choose what we do with that profit and how we go about making it. And the kinds of the kind of work that we do to that allows us to make that profit. It isn't necessarily about maximizing profit or maximizing shareholder value, right? So we make I make decisions around like critical business strategy based on does this feel like you know the it's more than just making a quick buck? Like we is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? Is it aligned with the things that we set it to achieve 10 years ago when I started this whole thing? And if it's not, then we're not doing it. And uh, sometimes those are really, really hard choices, especially when your bank account is going in this direction and you need it to go in this yeah. direction. For folks yeah. that are listening, I'm pointing down and then pointing up. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but uh, but like to me, that's that's really about what it means to be uh, an entity in this world, whether you describe it as a business or a corporation or a social enterprise or any of the, those things, um, it means like you're thinking about the decision you're making in the context of more than just maximizing profit. Um, it more than just like, what is the impact I'm trying to have? What is the way in which I want to make that profit? Who are the partners I want to make that profit with and get into business with and try to collaborate with and do business with? I think there's just a broader set of, set of criteria. And then on the social innovation side, this is something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about because I've been hearing a lot of challenges around homelessness. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of challenges around housing. I've been hearing a lot of challenges around just like things that are on the top of the list of people like communities, municipalities, economic development agencies are like really big, complex challenges um, that tend like traditionally has been in the realm of the responsibility of some form of government. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there's just a massive opportunity for us to invite the entrepreneurial community into helping us try to come up with profitable business models that actually also solve the problem, but in a way that actually costs a fraction of what it might to fund it through traditional government. Um, government means like i think there's just like entrepreneurs can get really really creative on how to make a huge impact with a little bit of money <laughs> like that's you know almost like the the prerequisite of being a uh you know a startup entrepreneur is trying to figure out how you get all this stuff done without the big budget to to go do it and um and i think there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial business models that could be applied and laid over some of those social challenges that uh, that could find a you know, a really interesting, innovative sweet spot where um, where it's not just dependent on sort of social funding all the time to try and go solve, solve those problems. Like, I think there's a really exciting opportunity. Do you mean like entrepreneurs getting a government contract, like tiny homes and things like that? Is that what you mean? Kind of? Yeah. That like kind of I, thought that process? Jumps, yeah, no, it's, that's exactly it. The one that immediately jumps to to mind is what uh, Marcel LeBlanc is uh, is doing in New, in New Brunswick. Um, you yeah, know, I saw again, that. Structu- yeah, structured as a, a not for profit organization, but could just as easily been structured as a um, as a for more than profit business. 
Um, he just made the, the for all kinds of other reasons um, to to structure it in a, in a certain way. But uh, the approach that Marcel is taking from his entrepreneurial background to trying to mm-hmm. solve that that problem and to figure out that quote unquote business model to go do that is exactly the kind of thinking and approach that I'm talking about. And I think that comes from sort of the the entrepreneurial uh, space, right? It comes from that sort of problem-solving per- perspective and thinking about things uh, in, that, um, in that way of like, how can I actually leverage the resources I do have, not thinking about how do I, you know, go get the resources I don't have and, uh, and you know, get started on solving the, the problem and learning and iterating and taking all of the, you know, all of the strategies we teach our entrepreneurs and applying them to some of those, those challenges. What are your thoughts on um, bartering? And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, um, there are skills and services that one offers. And in a lot of cases, there are other entrepreneurs that offer skills and services and products that other entrepreneurs can, you know, I'm talking kind of in in the mutual aid category, but also in, you know, trading services so that and repairing or, you know, keeping your business going, that kind of thing. Um, What are your thoughts on that? I think there's a huge opportunity to be doing more of it. I don't think I think it's a strategy that entrepreneurs often overlook because it sometimes sounds overwhelming and complicated when it doesn't necessarily need to be. Mm-hmm. I think the the challenge with it in, in practical terms is the um the attribution of value. Right. right? So yes. so sometimes there's a there's a, a discrepancy between mm-hmm. what I feel my service <laughs> yes. is worth and the, mm-hmm. the quote unquote price I would charge for it versus what you uh might perceive and like the value to you versus the value, you know, the, so there's a misalignment there uh, sometimes. So if you can figure out how to get aligned on those things as two people exchanging, say, exchanging services, I think there's a beautiful uh, partnership and opportunity to be, be had there. And not just from, you know, from a not having to have the money to get the things done that you need to get done, but it also introduces this element of collaboration right? Like mm-hmm. we've got to go figure out how to go do this together. I think there's all kinds of other skill sets that come along with uh, learning how to do that, that are, are beneficial to entrepreneurs and all kinds of, uh, kinds of ways. So it's not just as easy of like, yes, I have money in my bank account to pay you. We now have to figure out how to you know, get to a common place where we both feel good about what it is we're doing together. I think that, um, that skill set is, is something that's invaluable to, uh, you know, the folks is there as they're on their entrepreneurial journey. Well, I think about, you know, many, 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 many years ago and, and, you know, perhaps it still happens. I'm sure it does in some communities, but building a barn, right? Like, I mean, putting something together that's personal. It's not your business. It is your livelihood though. And it's your family. It is, mm-hmm. you know, the way that you have an income, perhaps your farm, and yet, you know, you call in friends, uh, family, and people to help you without a value on it. Like that is community, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. And when you're... Barn raising, I guess o- it's called. Yeah. And when you're an entrepreneur in, the, in a rural, rural place... Um, you you need to figure out how to work with your your neighbors. Otherwise, it creates all kinds of uh, challenges Conflict. and havoc. Yeah, you never know when you're going to have to um, rely on that person's help. You know, not just in your in your business, but pra- you know, practical stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think think there is a, a huge value and under understanding of. Um, sometimes we just we just need to do what we feel is the right thing to do and not necessarily mm-hmm. worry too much about whether you're getting more value or I'm getting more value. Like, let's just accept the fact that over the course of our lifetimes, it's all going to, it's all going to come out. <laughs> <in the dash. laughs> and, so, um, and let's just do things that are helpful to one, one another in when we're in a position to, uh, to do it. And 
then that could be, you know, I may have more money at one point in time than, than you, and you may, I may have more things to, you know, to, to offer. And that isn't money at that certain, uh, certain point. Like, um, let's just figure out how to be helpful to one another as we're trying to, to do this stuff and less about the, you know, the, the exchange of currency. Well, that actually kicks the tires of capitalism though. Right. Like, I mean, it is pulling apart a little bit, a system that perhaps hasn't, hasn't been the kindest to all of us. Right. For sure. And why not kick the tires of, of that, Mm -hmm. of that whole, whole model? I think there's, uh, I think there's a lot of good principles that, that come out of capitalism. I think there's a lot of horrible principles that come out of capitalism. I think there's other principles that come from other places, other cultures outside of, you know, business and entrepreneurship that can totally be applied to, you know, business and entrepreneurship that we should be thinking like this notion of it has to be capitalism or has to be socialism. I, I think, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of opportunity to reinvent hybrid models of these things. Like let's just figure out the best parts of this and the best parts of that and how we can bring them together to do what we, what feels like the right, right thing to, to do. And um, I, I spend less time trying to figure out what box I'm in <laughs> Yeah, and more time figuring out like what can I learn from that model? What can I learn from that practice? What can I learn from that cultural experience that I just had mm-hmm. to apply to the things I'm trying to achieve in the world? And it just so happens I've chosen, you know, Mashup Lab and this entrepreneurship and business as the mechanism through which I want to do that work. Um, and, but that doesn't mean I can't pull from uh, all kinds of other principles and strategies like the some of the work we did with indigenous communities in uh unamagi um gave me the the opportunity to work with some of the the youth in those communities mm-hmm. and uh they were kind enough to teach me some of their uh their traditions their learning their concepts things that um that show up in their day-to-day lives that they were surprised like you don't know about this i'm like no never heard about it like some of the most beautiful beautiful concepts um that uh, that they that they share like I'm like this you could totally bridge the gap between that concept that's you know in your culture in a social context to what how does this show up in entrepreneurship and business what does this look like when we think about that concept in the context of that framework and I think there's just a, a massive opportunity to be exploring those uh, those kinds of kinds of things that's the stuff that really gets me excited me too I, I think that many, many, many indigenous traditions can be translated into our communities to make them so much better than we have them right now. With that in mind, what, where uh, are we making progress? Where are rural and remote communities in Canada making progress? And in, in what areas? And I don't mean geographically. I mean, like, what are some of the things that, are, that yeah. we're doing right, you know? Yeah, and so I have I have a very narrow perspective on this because we are absolutely laser focused on the thing we do and how we do it and the things I'm trying to achieve in the in the world. So so what I'm going to share it comes from that context. <laughs> I'm trying to to do that work more uh, more and more. Um but what I'm seeing is an open-mindedness to different approaches, right? Mm-hmm. So that like when I show up to to a community and that has no idea who we are or what we do or how, how we do it and say, I believe there is untapped entrepreneurial potential that is yet to be unlocked in your community, despite the fact that you've got dozens of organizations over you know, decades uh, doing this work. I believe there's more to be had here. Um, the fact that I get people saying, tell me more <laughs> instead of hanging up the, you know, the phone or mm-hmm. ending the, the Zoom call and saying, like, who the hell do you think you are? Um, I'm just baffled and inspired by the open-mindedness that I'm seeing from dozens of, like, we now have delivered our virtual business incubator, our dream business program with um, entrepreneurs in over 300 communities now across Canada and the, wow. and the U.S. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we're just scratching the surface and just Mm -hmm. at the tip of that iceberg. But the fact that we've been put in a position to go do that work 
with communities that have said, yeah, you know what, let's give this a try. Like it's so inspiring and hopeful to me that we have people in positions of, uh, of authority and um, that are controlling both strategy and budget that are, are being open-minded to, to those things. That, that is, I think one thing we're absolutely getting right. I think the second thing that uh, we're getting right, that we probably be, could, could be doing more of here in Canada uh, that I think they're they're well on their way to you know doing really really well south of the the border is like there are whole conferences Shauna in the in the U.S. focused yeah. specifically on the role of entrepreneurship in rural places like and not just one conference dozens of so the gathering of people that have expertise uh, in that field and in that work and those are the conferences I I often are I'm being invited to to speak at and share some of the things that we're doing and also get to learn from while I'm, uh, I'm there. Uh, I just think like that is um, something that, you know, we need more of that kind of sharing and collaboration uh, happening, but I, I feel um, super excited about what I've been seeing on that front and the conversations that are now percolating you know, with my, you know, my friends here in, uh, in Canada as well. I think there's, um, there's a real opportunity to do some cool stuff. Um, coming up in in the next you know year four years five years ten years however long it, long it takes us to get there but uh, that that i think is a, a step in the right right direction is just understanding how other places are doing these these things and how that might look in this context and this community to help me solve this uh, this problem uh, i think there's a um yeah i'm really encouraged by, by what i'm seeing there what do you see in 2024 what what would you like to see in one year, in, in one, you know, calendar year, what do you think we can accomplish or what do you think, what do you, what's your wish list? Yeah, we, it's funny. We, my team and I got together just before the, the holidays to, to talk exactly about that. And uh, we have um, set a, a target for ourselves to, uh, to work with a thousand people this, this year, thousand entrepreneurs in, rural places across both Canada and the, and the U S and while that feels like, um, a very achievable number, um, it also feels, feels like, you know, North America is a big place and there are a lot of rural, rural places out there. Um, you know, I, I feel like that, that number we could double or triple easily, mm-hmm. um, you know, do with the, the right partners in, uh, in place. And I feel like, you know that you know historically would would translate into somewhere in the in the neighborhood of seven or eight hundred new entrepreneurs working on new business and growing existing businesses in the in those communities. Uh, I I get really excited when I think about the impact that can have in a rural rural place. So uh, so that's where what we're focused on is how many people uh, sitting on the sidelines in those rural places across this country can we uh, can we work with this uh, this year to help figure out if there's a great business to be built around there, a great idea. And the, again, I think there's some massive, massive amount of potential uh, in those rural communities that, uh, that we can, we can help to, to activate in some way. I think if I counted, uh, you use the word opportunity quite a few times (laughs) because it is your thing. You see opportunities. And so as a as a parting uh, comment, um, what are some ways that people in their own communities can look for opportunities? Hmm. That's yeah. That's a really really great great question. And and again, it again come from my position of bias and, and privilege, but I think. Sometimes taking that first step to doing something sometimes gets mitigated by I don't know the ten other steps that I need to take in order to make this big thing big thing happen. And I I know that's something that's held me back in the past is like I don't know what you know this is what the strategy is to make all of this this happen and what the plan is and like what's my strategic plan for you. Sometimes you just got to. Do what you think is the right right thing to do, and I am often inspired by um, 
Deb Brown and Becky McRae with Save Your Town on this front. It's like, like just just do one thing, just do something simple that you feel is like the thing that moves in the direction um, that you're trying to move that that community, and not necessarily worry about what this looks like in six months or a year. Just you know, make it make it that test, make it that experiment. And then use what you learn from that to then apply to the next thing you want to do and the next thing you want to do. And uh, it's an approach that we've, we've taken at Mashup Lab for, for a while. And you do that enough times. Eventually, the strategy then becomes a little clearer. And you can figure out what are the, the longer-term steps to making this, uh, making this work. But that's what I would encourage people to, to do is, uh, is just think about what's what's one thing I can do this this week that helps to move this one thing one step forward. Um, who are two people I can get in a conversation with over the next week that you know just uh, hey here's something I've been thinking about. What do you think? You know what do you who do you know that might be interested in in this? And any time that I've seen you know success stories that that get talked about at you know conferences and in the media, it's it's often started by one person that did one thing and uh, i don't i think there's a lot of opportunity for for people to take that one first step and make that send that one email make that phone call set up that one meeting start that one conversation without knowing or having any expectations of where it might lead and uh, and just see where where it goes and sometimes i think uh we can surprise ourselves about how far we can go in such a short period of time Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, pleasure speaking with you. And I'm sure that we could speak on a lot of different other topics and maybe we will. Um, but I appreciate your time today. Uh, the pleasure was mine, Sean. Thanks again for, for setting this up. It's always a pleasure talking with you. You know what would really help me and this podcast keep going? Leaving us a four-star rating or even a review, I'd really appreciate that. To connect with other rural Canadian co-conspirators, subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter or drop me an email. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Luni Lenape, and Adirondwan peoples. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Munsee Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler, I'm committed to deepening my understanding of colonialism dismantling other systems of oppression, my commitment to the TRC calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and to Spirit for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who I believe still walk here. Until next time, 